Good morning, friends. Welcome to Myers Park United Methodist Church on this third Sunday in Lent. My name is Uyang Kim, one of the pastors here. We're so grateful that we can gather in worship, in person or online, wherever you may be, however you may be joining us. We're so grateful that we can encounter the loving presence of God as a family of God. I'm so grateful to be joined by my friend, colleague, and mentor, Pastor Bill, today. Pastor Bill, what else do we have going on today? Well, I'll just mention the attendance pads that are there in the pew. Pass them along so that we got a chance to find out who you are, get to know you a little better, and also that we can begin a relationship with you if you're a visitor. If you are a visitor, a visitor with us today, let me extend to you a very, very warm welcome. Also, this week on Wednesday, March 6th, at, uh, in the Francis Chapel at 11 o'clock and at 7 o'clock, uh, Dr. Howell will have his Bible study. They're going to be talking about Bible and, the politi and politics, so I think you'll want to join him for that study today. I would also just call your attention to all the various ways in which you can get involved in the life of this church. So look at this week in Myers Park and find out all the different ways in which you can participate in our congregational life. Now, let us continue in an attitude of worship.
affirmation of faith this morning is the Apostles' Creed. It's numbered 881 in your hymnals, but it's also found in your worship bulletins. Let us unite in this historic confession of our Christian faith. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead, he ascendeth into heaven, and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Friends, it is a privilege to celebrate the Sacrament of Holy Baptism. Today for 8.30 service, Mary Archer and Scott Trevathan bring their son, William Rawls. Brothers and sisters in Christ, through the Sacrament of Baptism, we are initiated into Christ's Holy Church. We are incorporated into God's mighty acts of salvation and given new birth through the water and the Spirit. All this is God's gift offered to us without price. So on behalf of the whole church, I ask you now, do you accept the freedom and power God gives you to renounce evil and repent of your sins? If so, say, we do. Do you confess Christ as your Savior, put your trust in his grace, and promise to serve him as your Lord? If so, say, we do. And will you nurture this child in Christ's holy church that by your teaching and example he may be guided to accept God's grace for himself, profess his faith openly, lead a Christian life, as so say we will. we will. And to you, the members of Myers Park United Methodist Church, will you include this family now before you in your care? Will you proclaim the good news and live according to the example of Christ? And will you surround this family with a community of love and forgiveness that they may grow in their service to others? And will you pray for them? that they may be true disciples that walk in the way that leads to life. If so, answer with the words, we will. Let us pray. Eternal Father, when nothing else existed but chaos, you swept across the dark waters and brought forth light. In the days of Noah, you saved those in the ark through water. After the flood, you set in the clouds a rainbow when you saw your people as slaves in Egypt, you led them to freedom through the sea. Their children you brought through the Jordan to the land which you promised. In the fullness of time, you sent Jesus, nurtured in the water of a womb, who was baptized by John and anointed by your spirit, 
He called his disciples to share in the baptism of his death and resurrection and to make disciples of all nations. Pour out your Holy Spirit to bless this gift of water on those who receive it to wash away their sin and clothe them in righteousness throughout their lives, that dying and being raised with Christ, they may share in his final victory. All praise to you, eternal Father, through your Son, Jesus Christ, who with you and the Holy Spirit lives and reigns forever. Amen. William Rawls Trevathan, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Jesus and in the light of the world, so let your light shine before others that they may come to know God, the Father in heaven. Child of God, as you go in age, may you also grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we welcome to we welcome you to the family of God. I would invite you now to turn your worship bulletins where you find the prayer of confession printed there. I invite you to join me as we confess our sins before God and one another. Let us pray. Our minds and hearts are consumed by busyness and brokenness. Pride and rancor shout loudly in our lives. We want to see as you see, to see ourselves as vessels of your love, to see and be kind to others. We want to hear as you hear, listening to the least of these, those wounded, debated, blamed, and left out. Free us from all bondage, free enough to be reconciled to you and with others. Consume our hearts and minds by your grace. My friends, hear the good news. Christ died for us while we're yet sinners. That proves God's love towards us. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. Glory to God. Amen. The Old Testament reading is Exodus chapter 20, beginning with the first verse. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. 
You shall not make for yourself a graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water underneath the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. This is the word of God for the people of God. I first got to know the Ten Commandments, and we just heard it read the first half of it. There's the, the Sabbath and the latter half. But before I got to know the Ten Commandments through the Exodus passage, I got to know it through the Ten Commandments, the movie. Remember that movie? With Charlton Heston and uh, Yul Brenner. Remember those guys? Uh, here's an interesting trivia fact about that movie. I think I saw it when I was six or seven. Well, an interesting footnote of it, not the Ten Commandments brought to you by God, but brought to you by Paramount Pictures. When it was first released back in 1956, it was the most expensive film ever made at a whopping cost of $13 million. Even as a child, I, I really liked I like the Ten Commandments, not necessarily because I, I like rules and regulations um, and specific guidelines, but it just made sense to me, unlike maybe something like the Sermon on the Mount, right? Blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the hungry, which seemed pretty cryptic to me at the time. Ten Commandments just made, made a lot of sense, especially the latter half. And honor your father and your mother, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not cheat, thou shalt not lie, thou shalt not covet. Makes sense. Makes sense. Seems rational and downright practical. But to be sure, I think, especially now more than ever, the Ten Commandments, uh, which depicts a certain kind of laws and rules, may give some of us pause. I think. The laws and rules in general, and even those found in the Bible, may bring about some uneasy feelings for some. Perhaps for many, it represents a sense of restriction and limitation, legalism, maybe even judgment. And to be sure, throughout the life of the church, in fact, life of any and all religions, there has been times where specific laws and rules have been used to bring about something less than the fullness and the presence of a loving God. However, uh, we are given these things nevertheless. Martin Luther of the Reformation, Protestant Reformation of the 1500s, he writes that to know the commandments is to know everything that Scripture is about. It's a pretty strong statement. So what can we learn from the Ten Commandments? And we're not going to go through each one today, but instead I'd like for us to look at the Ten Commandments as a whole. What do these things reveal to us about the nature of God, our relationship with God, and our discipleship in Christ? So the first thing I think it's really important to, 
to note in ways of these commandments is that this is a ways in which God demonstrates God's love toward us. About God, by giving these commandments to us, it demonstrates that God cares for us. Too often we naively presuppose that a person, an individual, can self-generate moral and ethics that is both good and sustainable. I got to tell you, that's false. None of us, there's not a single person of us that can generate and sustain good and life-giving moral ethical values. So God is the one that initiates this conversation. You realize when we first read this passage from Exodus, God is the one that approaches us, God's people, to say, I got some gifts to give you, some guidelines to share with you because I care. I have a vested interest in how you turn out. God desires for us that which is best for us. Imagine a parent leaving her child to her own devices from a very early age. You would never think that's a good idea. In fact, we call that somewhat of irresponsible, lazy, and even cowardice to do such a thing. But a good parent, good parents give good guidelines, right? good boundaries, instructions in ways of being on a particular path that will be good for that child. Or God loves us so much that by giving us these commandments, God even risks upsetting us. I love that. Remember when you're younger, your parents gave you rules, mandates? How many of you were happy to hear them and to obey them? You might have been even upset with your parents. And every time I went through that motion, my parents would inevitably say, we're doing this, why? Because we love you. We want what's best for you. We want you to be on a path uh, that will lead you to a good, good place. By the way, coincidentally, my favorite of the Ten Commandments since 2014 has been, you guessed it, honor thy mother and your father. Yeah. <laughs> Wasn't mine before, but it is now. Revelation chapter, <laughs> Revelation chapter 3, we read, those whom I love, I reprove, and I discipline. It is out of God's love that God gives us these commandments. Second, these commandments, these rules and laws of God, leads us not toward limitation, but it leads toward freedom. It does not bound us, but rather it sets us free toward goodness. We lose a lot when we reduce the Ten Commandments to mere more principles, although it is that, as important as these things may be, we've got to realize that these are more than just more imperatives. This is a particular way that God is leading us toward a specific end, specific life, both as individuals and as a community, as a church. And it is a path toward freedom. It is not to limit us but it's to enable us to be the creature and the community and the church that God made us, made us to be. Will Willimon talked about how the Ten Commandments, among with other rules and laws that are given to us, it is a countercultural way, it is a path toward a countercultural way for us to live, to give a particular kind of witness to the world. Uh, we live... 
in a culture where I think submission to any authority other than our own egos are considered unduly authoritarian and unfair. Willimon writes that command obedience is difficult for us. He further on writes, we have freed ourselves from all external authority except servitude to the self. And later on, he writes that this is in many ways a specific and a particular kind of slavery, that we become slaves to our own selves and our own desires. I think all of us know this. Most of us who've lived life long enough and have seen the lives of our own and of others, unrestricted and boundless freedom is at best fiction and at worst self-destructive. Instead, Herbert McCabe, who's a Catholic theologian, he talks about what he calls uh, our need for moral apprenticeship, that we need a particular uh, space and time in our lives, a necessary stage where we go through a moral apprenticeship so that in due time we can make our own decisions. But first, we need to be taught. We need to be led. We need to be on a path. We need to be discipled. I've shared this example before, but I can't find a better one, so I'll share it again. And I don't know who I shared it, where I shared it, and when I shared it. So if you hear something that I said more than twice, just send me a kind email and say, hey, Uyan, you've said that before, twice. Yeah. My cousin in Korea, who's, she herself is now an adult, She's about a decade younger than me, but from a very early age, it was very clear that she was a prodigy. She's a violinist. She's a violinist in South Korea. And she's a professional violinist today. Uh, for all of her childhood, even to this day, she practiced five hours a day after school for six or seven days a week. She missed a whole lot of time of hanging out with friends, even dances, parties get-togethers. She, in many ways, bounded herself to a particular kind of discipline. Many of her friends, and even strangers outside looking in, may say that she's limiting herself, that she is a prisoner of her own room, practicing five hours a day, six, seven days a week. One would think that, one could think that, until you see her play the violin. She is as free as you could ever imagine because she became the very person and a creature that God made her to be, to play the violin through a particular set of discipline, laws, and rules. And lastly, from the Ten Commandments, we see that we can only live into these laws when we do so together. God gave the Ten Commandments along with every rules and laws not to an individual, but to a community, to a people. You may notice when you read the, uh, the, the whole of the Ten Commandments, the first part is our relationship with God. And there, there's a Sabbath in the middle, and the latter part is what? Is our relationship with our neighbors, to each other. It's as if to say that theology, our relationship with God, and ethics, our relationship with one another, is never separated. It is always related and connected. Theology and ethics always go hand in hand. It is so that we are called 
not only know these things through our minds, but the Ten Commandments can be only fully known when it is lived out in a context of a community, of a church, through worship, through lifelong obedience together as a people of God. I do think <clears throat> in ways of sin, uh, it is not that we will be punished for our sin, per se, uh, but rather our sin itself is a punishment in that when we live in a particular way that is of sin, we will fail to become the creature, a person, and a people that God made us to be. There's nothing more punishing and cruel than for me, for any of you, to be the person that God did not make you to be. So here's an interesting example. Living in a particular way of life that is of God is in many ways, people think of discipline as being heavy burdening, but that's not true either. The most freeing thing is to be the person that you are, to do the thing that God desires for you to do, and to live a life that is of truth and honesty. Here's an example that I've encountered through the years. One of my other, uh, I wouldn't call it a favorite, commandments, but the one that really points out is don't commit adultery. That's in there, right? It is so much easier to live a faithful monogamous life as a husband than to commit adultery. Do you ever think about it like that? Do you know how hard and complicated and cruel and painful it is to live in adultery? But instead, live a life of truth. Live a life of honesty. It's so much easier to keep everything intact and everything on track when you live that way. When you live a life of lie, that's when life gets really hard. So God gives us these laws, these rules, these boundaries to set us free for us to become the persons that, we, that God made us to be. It's a gift for us. We give thanks for this gift. And I give thanks for the church that enables me and empowers me in the name of God to live this way. We all give thanks. Amen. We bring our past, we bring our futures, and we bring our present. We lay all of who we are before you. Help us to see ourselves as you see us, full of love, full of goodness, enough. Lord, in your mercy. Lord, you continue to call us toward reconciliation and growth. We admit there are people in our lives that we may struggle to love, that we struggle to go through life with, that there are relationships that are full of deep pain and frustration. Lord, we ask that your grace seep into the cracks and rifts in our lives so that we may find the freedom found in forgiveness. Lord, in your mercy. All loving God, help us see others the way you see others. We are so quick to say we are fine. 
when the reality is many of us are far from fine. Whether we are drowning in our own grief, consumed in our frustration and fear, laden with anxiety about the future, riddled with guilt, or desperately trying to hold it all together, Lord, each of us is so much more than the words we speak out loud. Give us the courage to allow ourselves to be seen, but also to see one another in the fullness of ourselves, broken, battered, and crying out for you. Lord, in your mercy. Almighty God, we lift our deepest desires to you, that they can be healed, that the pain will go away, that the depression will lift, that we can move on without them in our lives anymore. Lord, you, heal, you hear all of our prayers. You never leave us. You dry each one of our tears. Help those among us know your presence, feel your peace, and remember your goodness. Lord, in your mercy. And now let us pray the prayer your son taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. As the ushers come forward, I want to give thanks. We have been able to be the kind of church that we are welcoming new members, not only at 11 o'clock, but also at 8.45. So we give thanks for your continued generosity, making this a space where people want to grow and be a part of our community.
God, you have invited us to give and to give with generous hearts. We are grateful to offer these gifts to you. May they be a part of our own liberation, but also the liberation of the world. Amen. friends that we give thanks for God's care for us, God's freedom granted for us, and the community of faith that allows us to journey together. So may the love of God, the Father, the grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us now and forevermore.